Well, good morning. My name is Reverend Deacon David Corna. Just call me Deacon Dave. Nice to be here today. I, I'm excited about being here to, to do this. I think many of you may know that I'm appointed by the bishop to be at the hospital, at Seton Hospital, as a chaplain, and I'm finishing my fifth year there, and it's, it's, it's really good work, and I enjoy that, but Bethany is my home. This is where I answered my call. This is the community that nurtured me and continues to nurture me, and I always celebrate when I get a chance to, to be here and, and to do this uh, sermon. It's also nice to be with people that are fully dressed and don't have a gown on that doesn't zip up in the back. <laughs> And they're actually sitting upright. You know what I mean? <laughs> so last week, uh, Pastor Sherry introduced our series on the Sermon on the Mount and Practice Makes Perfect. Her lesson was on practicing the presence of Christ in you. And I got to tell you, I, I thought it was probably one of the best sermons that, that I've ever heard. She encouraged us to read the entire sermon series during the, the entire Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5 through 7, during our entire series. But some key points that I wrote down last week when, when she was giving her sermon were that as Christians, we are the light of the world. And as Christians, we need to let that light shine out for others. The light of Christ shines in our hearts and through us, and we must let that shine before others. And the light of Christ guides us. And today, I pick up on a point that really resonated with me from her sermon last week. She said, let the light in. We must let the light in to uncover and reveal our own places of darkness where we need to practice the presence of Christ. Now, before I get too far here, you know, Sherry called me a short time ago and a few weeks back and said, hey, Dave, would you be available and interested in, in preaching this weekend? And, and I said, yes, and had to check with the missus. You know, it's our 40th wedding anniversary this weekend. So she, my wife, Bonnie, is the, the first saint in my life. But uh, she said it was okay. She said... Uh, Go ahead and do it. And, and so then uh, Sherry said, well, thank you very much. And she said, I'll, I'll be, get back in touch with you and give you the idea what the, what the series is about, et cetera, later on. So some time went on, and she didn't call me. And, you know, I don't do this every day. So I get a little anxious. So I texted her. I said, Sherry, so uh, what's the sermon series? She saw the sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. I said, oh, good, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. She said, yeah, but you don't have to worry about 5, 6, and 7. You just need to focus on what you're doing, and that's chapter 5, verse 21 to 30. I said, oh, okay, and I wrote that down because, to be honest with you, I don't have Scripture memorized. I said, by the way, do you have the sermon title figured out yet or what? She said, oh, yeah, we're doing everything that's on practice makes perfect. She said, for example, I'm going to do practicing the presence of Christ in you. I said, that really sounds rich, sounds good. So what's the title of my sermon? She says, practicing brutal honesty. <laughs> oh. Then I looked up chapter 5, verse 21 to 30. Thou shalt not commit murder. 
and thou shalt not commit adultery. I shared this with my wife. She said, now look, sometimes when you've preached, you've talked about personal testimony and you've even shared some of our stories here. Don't be sharing any of our stories this week. (laughs) So what is brutal honesty? I I wrote a definition out here to help me frame this up this week, and it's a little long. It sounds more like a mission statement than a definition, and I'm only going to read it once, but I want to share it with you because I think It might help you understand, it helped me understand, what is brutal honesty? Brutal honesty is a customary way of behavior that we embrace as Christians, which is intense, unrelenting, direct, and honest, leading us to righteousness, which is a way of life that is all about doing the right thing. Amen. So brutal honesty, in our text this week, let us begin. And it's, it's long, so bear with me here. You have heard that it was said of, to those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with your brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult the brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you're offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift before, there before the altar and go first. Be reconciled to your brother and sister and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're on the way to court. With him, or your accuser may hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. And it goes on You have heard it said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and Throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now as we begin today, uh, let us realize that the message that Jesus gave on the Sermon on the Mount was countercultural then. And it's countercultural today, some 2,000 years later. Not everyone understands Jesus or his leadership. But I must put it into context for you. You know, Jesus has gathered his disciples on top of the mountain and opened up his sermon with the Beatitudes. And Sherry mentioned that last week, but we didn't go into the Beatitudes because we have done that before. But Beatitudes is simply attitudes which are pleasing to God or blessings. Now, we didn't review them, but they follow a consistent pattern. You know, they're in two parts. One is a condition and the other is a result. For example, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And blessed, listen to this one because it's, it's for today, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. So let us turn back and 
and go to just Matthew 5.20 because Jesus is talking here and He says, you know, and, and we need to understand that the, the Pharisees were all about law and ritual and looking good. If you followed the letter to the law, you were fine in their eyes. But Jesus today, Jesus is more concerned with the spirit of the law. For I tell you, unless your lives are more pure and full of integrity than the religious scholars and the Pharisees, you will never experience the realm of heaven's kingdom. See, what Jesus does here is He reinforces the Ten Commandments as given to us by Moses, but He also raises the expectations for us to achieve salvation in the kingdom. He points out that the Judaic custom of the Pharisees is more based on the external but God emphasizes our attitude to prevent us from doing certain things. And God is not so much concerned about the outside appearance, but rather what's in our hearts. See, that's what God wants to know, what's in our hearts. And as a matter of fact, does God not only want to know what's in our hearts, He already knows what's in our hearts. As it says in 1 Kings, Then here in heaven, your dwelling place, forgive, act, and render to all whose hearts you know, according to all their ways, for only you know what is in every human heart. Now, when we go over that first passage today talking about murder, I think we're aware of that term. We experience it, and unfortunately in our world today, if we turn on television, there can't be, a, can't be an episode or, or a of a, of a drama or there can't be a newscast that doesn't talk about it. But I'm going to take a little liberty here and say that I'm not worried about this crowd committing murder. However, Jesus is raising the expectation here and He's going on and saying even anger is equivalent to murder. And that will cause you, if you have a, if you have a grievance with your brother or sister, that will cause you judgment. Anger. Anger certainly present in our world today as well. It's estimated that people, the average person, those of us here today, get angry 15 times a day. I said that to somebody the other day. They're going, one, two, three. 15 times a day. The other thing is that it's estimated that 33 million Americans have an anger management problem of magnitude. Just so you know, that's more than the population of the state of Texas. And anger management is turned into a cottage industry. When I was preparing for this, I googled anger management Austin, Texas. And 22 listings came back for services, counseling practices, programs for anger management. 22 on the first page. Even Hollywood has recognized the, the problem of anger management and gotten in on it. Maybe you remember this. Maybe you don't remember this. <laughs> uh-oh. What? Some mindless nitwit is parked behind me. Oh, good. Well, then we can't go. No, no, no. I can get out. Get in. 
I don't know how you're gonna get out of this. Try to wiggle out, you're gonna get a ding. But you know everything. What's he doing? Well, you're batting a thousand in craziness. Now we're <laughs> I'm just making a little room to back up. Now, if I had lost my temper, would I have had the presence of mind to leave my card and my insurance information? Whatever, Mr. Insane Vane, popping a little too far out of his head while swinging the bat guy. I think you've got room to back up. I think you have room to back up. Did you see his card? Nobody cares. Well, I'm here to tell you that anger management is not the answer. Let's be brutally honest. We've all had times in our lives where we've been angry. Dave included. You know, perhaps you've even had an anger fantasy. You know, an anger fantasy where someone says something to cross you, to fire you up, to set you off, and... Instead of doing what our text says today, of coming to terms quickly or attempting to talk and repair the relationship, you conjure up this great drama in your head. You know you're really going to set them straight. You've had it right up to here, talking to them. They're going to let them know, you're not going to do that to me ever again. J.D. Walt, who was here a few weeks ago, J.D. Walt refers to that as similar to taking a hit on a crack pipe in that it pulls deep emotions when we do that. When we conjure up that script, it does deep emotions, and even for a second, it makes us feel good. However, as you see in our reading, Jesus expects more from us, and this type of story is unacceptable. It's a pathway to damnation. It'll separate us from God and exclude us from the kingdom, both the kingdom here now and the yet to come. Let us remember that it's what in our hearts that drive our actions. What's in your heart drives your actions. And remember that what we read earlier today, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Jesus says we don't even need to execute this plan. We simply need to draw it up on our head. No outward act is needed. The sin lies within our heart. John Wesley agrees. Wesley writes in his notes on the Sermon on the Mount, Our Lord here ranks under murder even anger which goes no further than the heart. But if we practice brutal honesty, what do we do? What's the action plan? Thanks, Dave. What do I do? Well, first of all, people, it begins with a simple recognition that we're angry, that we have those thoughts. Second is a plea, a plea to God and a plea to Jesus for help. For me, I use this, and I've adopted this as a practice, and it works well for me. I've adopted Psalm 51.10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. 
When I get angry, when I get fired up, when I get tilted to the right or left, I take a step back, I take a deep breath, and I recite in me, create in me a clean heart, O God, renew a right spirit within me. Indulge me, let's all read that together. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. That may not work for you, but it's worked for me. And as we move on from anger to our reading today, we move on to the topic of adultery. Jesus once again raises our consciousness level and begins with, you've heard it said before, from the others, from the Pharisees, from the handed down in tradition. But I'm here to tell you that everyone who looks at a woman or a man in lust has already committed adultery. I want to point out to you this morning that I think you'll agree There is a difference between love and lust. Love is a deep feeling of affection. Nothing else compares. And it's for a lifetime. It lasts. But lust, on the other hand, is a strong sexual desire. And it's biological. I'll leave you with this thought. Love is for a lifetime. Lust is for a moment. And I think one person who practiced brutal honesty, and I'm dating myself here in one sense, in the other sense is I had to go back this far to find somebody perhaps that was brutally honest, was Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter from Plains, Georgia, the peanut farmer in 1976. He was running for president. And that's before the Internet before iPhones, and before Twitter. And so in order to get the word out and everything else, he gave an interview to Playboy magazine, known for their articles. (laughs) And he was quoted in that magazine as saying, I've looked at many with lust, and I've committed adultery in my heart many times. You can imagine the stir that this caused. And the press indeed had a heyday. Matter of fact, overnight, in one day, he dropped 15% in the popularity poll. But he also got comments from the press like, this is behavior unbecoming of a president. The reality, though, is that Jimmy Carter agreed, and he explained his, with Scripture, and he explained his faith. He explained that his faith was central to him in his life, and that God can indeed, our God can indeed forgive us if we acknowledge and repent of our sins. I must say, it seems to be miles away from our current climate, both in society and politics. But Carter acknowledged his need for forgiveness and God's willingness to do so. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit with me. And love is for a lifetime, and lust is for a moment. Incidentally, this month, July, the Carters celebrated 72 years of marriage. Both are still alive, 72 years of marriage. 
Now, moving on with God's calls for us to pluck out our eye and cut off our hand, let us recognize that that is not literal, it's figurative. However, it's still very significant because what it means is we must go to whatever causes us to sin, whatever causes that anger or lust, we must turn away and cut it off. If you find yourself with that tendency, you need to turn it off, you need to repent, you need to turn away. Now this may be painful or difficult. It may be that you've got to start hanging with a different crowd. It may be that you've got to take a different way to work than Mopac. Um, You might even have to change jobs if it's too stressful and it's affecting your life. And it, it should be significant. It may even feel like an addict giving up an addiction to drugs or alcohol. But it is written. You know, it might be like cold turkey and it should be hard, but it is written that it must be done to protect ourselves and the current kingdom. I want you to think about if everybody just did this, what would it be like if everyone would just adopt this? Wesley agrees. He writes in here, the pure in heart are they whose hearts God has purified even as He is pure, who are purified through the blood of Jesus from every unholy affection, who being cleansed from all filthiness of flesh and spirit, perfect perfect holiness in the loving fear of God. So as I begin to close this message today, I want to be certain to leave you with some hope and some understanding that our God is a God who restores. Our God is a God that is merciful and gracious. Jesus is not simply the lawgiver. Jesus is the Redeemer. As it says in Romans 3.10, here's what Scripture says, no one is righteous, not even one. But now for the good news, God's restorative justice has entered the world independent of the law. Both the law and the prophets told us this day would come. This redeeming justice comes through the faithfulness of Jesus, the anointed one, the liberating king who makes salvation a reality for all who believe without the slightest partiality. Embrace the message today and the promise in it the promise in the message, even brutal honesty, there's promise in this message. Those that don't justify justify themselves merely on external behavior, but practice brutal honesty and the condition of their heart. Those that have a clean heart will have a clean spirit. So as you leave here today, I leave you with this point that you could probably share with others. You see the clock. The preacher of many years ago, Henry Ward Beecher, had a clock in his church that didn't keep appropriate time. It was always too fast or too slow. He called everyone to try to fix it. He fiddled with it month after month. They had the deacons in the church there. People in that section saw it was off. 
They shared it. Finally, he just gave up in desperation and he put a note on the clock that said, don't blame the hands, the trouble lies deeper. Don't blame the hands, the trouble lies deeper. And that's how it is in life, isn't it? That the life we lead, don't blame the hands, it's, it's, it's deeper. And until we deal with that deepness and that deeper trouble in the spiritual realm, what's in our hearts, there's really no way for us to set the hands correct. Amen? Let us pray. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open and all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit that we may perfectly love you, worthily magnify your holy name, through Christ our Lord. Amen.